0: Father, we want to thank you for your word, and as we come to it today, we pray that you would speak to us in the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that the words that uh, we hear, especially your word, would uh, take root in our hearts, that they would change us and move us, that we'd learn, but also that you would be transforming us by the renewing of our minds, by the Holy Spirit and your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. OK, we have sort of been uh, working our way through Mark for some time and we've come to a, a passage which really we've always talked about a number of times but we're going to bring it all together today and hopefully it's going to make a lot of sense. Um, do you know that if you were to read the Bible or understand God, you start with a small understanding and you grow in understanding and, and you can't be any other way. If you read the creation story you get the understanding that God's a creator. That's fair enough, isn't it? But then a bit later on, you see where the people sinned and then you get a deeper understanding as to what God's like. He's holy. And you also understand his grace in that he clothes or covers over, as we sung, Adam and Eve. And he doesn't kill them on the spot. Uh, And then you get to Abraham and you see God's faithfulness to humanity. What I'm saying is you learn more as you go and so God's revelation comes and what we have in Mark chapter 8 is we have this revelation of God and suddenly we have a deeper revelation and uh, it fries the disciples' minds so we'll uh, but I think that Mark 8 it's about the middle of the book but it's also the tilting point if you know what I mean if you you had a, a seesaw and the tilting point and it goes like that of the whole understanding of what's happened. So uh, I'm gonna, I'll talk about that a bit more in a minute. But we're gonna start by reading from verse 22 to 30. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked him, "Do you see anything?" And he he looked up and he said. I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were open. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about this. Okay, so we start with this story. We are going to go on to the last bit in a while. But he starts with this story of Jesus healing a blind man. And yet it's a different sort of story of healing than what you normally hear because Jesus kind of half heals him and then he fully heals him. And now we've said before in Mark, right throughout Mark, the sign or the miracle that Jesus does often points to teaching. He does a sign which says something. Just a simple one is he feeds feeds 5,000 and he wants them to know that I will feed you, I'm the bread of life. That makes sense, doesn't it? The miracle, it's a pointless miracle if it doesn't mean something. Otherwise, they ate for a day and then they went home and said that was a cool trick. Yep. But the miracle points to something that Jesus is. Okay. That's what happens in Mark. It's happened right the way through. Now, what we said as we looked at the first half of Mark is that the heart of the book is this. Jesus is the king. It begins when Jesus says, the kingdom of God is near, repent. And if you were there, we said, you would say, the kingdom of God is near. What sort of king is he? What is he a king over? And that's what you get for the first eight chapters of Mark, is what sort of king he is. He's the king who says, follow me, and people follow. He's the king who says, get out of him to a demon, and the demon gets out. He's a king where the devil says, why don't you just worship me? And he says, no, that's not the word of the Lord. He is a king who says, be healed, and people are healed. He's a king who says, no, this is what the law of God really means. He's a king who says, your sins are forgiven, and they are forgiven. And he's a king who is over all creation. He says to the storm, be quiet. Be still. Two words in Greek. And the storm stops. And he walks across the top of the water. And he raises a girl from the dead. Wow. He's the king over life and death. He gives them food, as I said. And throughout all of those miracles, he teaches the people. Now, if you were there, you would say this. This guy has authority in his teaching why? because look what he does and you would go he is the king over everything is that fair that's a sum up of the first eight chapters okay what else do we need but Jesus the king that might be where the disciples are at and it's here that the disciples have understood something which is incredible but their vision is still blurry. As far as far They understand Jesus is king, but the next bit that they need to know, where they get full sight, it's very confusing to them. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because you see, Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Or if you're reading Matthew's gospel, you are the son of the living God. Now, That's a pretty important uh, revelation to come to, isn't it? And so you might say, now Peter and the other disciples have got everything they need. They know the king. They know the powerful one. They know the one ruling over everything. This is the bit where it gets blurry for them. Because you see, it's very clear for them and also for all of us today, we get confused by this, that they had in mind what sort of king they wanted. What sort of king did they want? Well, they expected on Palm Sunday when he walked into Jerusalem and they were all worshipping him, he is going to overthrow the Romans. He's going to whop them. And it's going to be good. Because that was what they saw as their problem. He might have an unbeatable army. He doesn't need an army. He can just fry them with his hands. We've seen what he can do. And not only that... What's going to be really good is he could give us food every day like, like he did with those 5,000, like the manor in the desert, and, hey, we don't ever have to work for food anymore. That's the type of king we want, yep. And he heals and raises the dead, so we're never going to get sick and we're going to live forever just as we are. And uh, so it's all good. As far as they're concerned, they have an idea of what their problems are and I know I've talked about this a bit in the last couple of weeks because I was preaching at Warawee the other day. That's the old folks' home in St George. And I started by saying to them, what's your problem? What do you think your problems are in life? And one ladies said, I can't find a mirror. But that's uh, because she wanted... That was anyway, um, but you, you could have an old person say, what is my problem? I'm old and I'm sick. I'm in a wheelchair, I can't walk. Um, my family are breaking up. They're all fighting. What is your problem in this life? And if you were to ask everybody in the world that question, they would all come up with some good stuff, which is their problem. But you see, that is not the heart of the problem. Now, maybe you're someone who likes politics, so you would say the biggest problem is obviously the left-wing politicians with their stupid ideas and blah blah blah. I'm not looking at anybody back there. Anyway, or maybe you'd say, "Yeah, it's the problems that people, the the gender identity stuff. That's crazy." Or uh, some people, the feminists, they're all the problem. Um, Some people would say, "I got to work twelve hours a day to feed my family. I don't get paid enough." Yep, Uh, or whatever. But you see, they are problems. And you see, if you'd seen what Jesus had done up to now, what you're thinking is, I've seen him get rid of all of those problems. They are the enemies. And Jesus is going to introduce something far deeper that is our problem. And we know that it is sin. Actually, we don't know it a lot of the time. But the biggest problem you will face in your life is your sin. Because sin... Has eternal consequences. Sin can separate you from God for eternity. okay? Uh, getting sick cannot. Losing your money, losing your job, naughty kids will not separate you from God eternally. Do you get that? Okay. So Jesus is going to show what the problem is. Now, just understand, sorry, I'm not having to go at people who like politics, but if you misunderstand this, if you're the type of person who thinks, Jesus is going to come to fix my problems, then you will look to politicians in this world because they can fix the problems of this world, and they can't. Don't look to a politician, ever. They can't fix the problem. Can you see a politician, can you think of a politician in this world who is going to deal with the sins of humanity? They aren't going to do it. Okay. So don't, as a dangerous way to do, is to mix Christianity with the power of the state. Don't do that. Okay? Look to Jesus. That's just a a little side issue. So then in verse 31, what happens is this. Now, put it in simple context. He started by saying, I'm the king. They say, what's the king? They see what he's the king of. And finally, the disciples come to realisation, this is who he is. Then, verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. <coughs> okay. Jesus, you're the king. We've worked it out. And immediately he says, now, I'm going to die. Suffered. I'm going to suffer. It's going to turn bad. Three days later, I'll be raised from the dead. Okay. Not he was just going to die, sorry. He was going to be killed. Worse than that, he wasn't even going to be killed by the Munger Romans. He was going to be actually brought to trial by the religious people. Their own people, the chief priests, the elders, and so on. And is that the sort of king that they wanted? No, knows the answer. They misunderstood. Okay, what they've seen, we've seen your incredible power. Bring it on, right? Not let's go to Jerusalem and you're going to die. That's not what they want to hear. Are you hearing this? Because we're going from the blurry revelation to the clear revelation of who God is. You've seen in part, now you're going to see in full. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Now, you understand, Peter took him aside, Jesus turned around and paraded him in front of the whole lot, and said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, you don't have to be very smart to know that this is a stinging rebuke, probably worse than any of us have ever got in our lives. Is that fair? And maybe if, you're, if you've got anything in you which is the sinful nature of humanity, you'll go, I don't really like this bit. I don't like what Jesus is saying to Peter because Peter is one of Jesus' closest friends and he just called him the devil. What Peter's saying is there's stuff about dying. I don't hear the bit about rising yet, but I, don't, I couldn't understand that. But there's stuff about dying that is not the way that it's going to work out. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He didn't say, now, Peter, I just want to correct a few small misunderstandings in what you're saying. or You're going to learn more. Do you hear the harshness of it? Yeah? Okay. Are you confronted by it? Because you should be. What Peter, he's saying, Peter... When you say that I don't have to die, that that thought is from the devil. Yep. Why did Jesus have to die? We talked about that a little bit in the service, but we're going to mention it again because at the cross he dealt with our big problem, sin. Okay? If Jesus had stayed right where he was and had not gone to that bit where he go to the cross, he would never have actually dealt with our biggest issue. He just would have been the king who's going around healing people and blah, blah, blah. Our sin is the biggest problem. Now, I want to say this. Do you believe that your biggest problem is sin? I mean, I know theologically we go, yeah, I do, yeah. My biggest problem is sin, I know that. Yeah, yeah. Do you actually believe it? Because that understanding, together with the fact that Jesus has dealt with all of our sins, will change your life if you know that that is your actual problem. Because otherwise you're going to have a life full of problems and full of worries and full of concerns over all sorts of stuff and not see the heart of the problem and then you're not going to see that the heart of the problem has been fixed once and for all through Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? It says this, it says that the Son of Man must suffer many things and it's this Greek word which is day which means it is necessary, it is absolutely crucial that the Son of Man must suffer many things and die and be raised from the dead. Can you hear what Jesus is saying? What you're thinking right now Peter the way you think I should go is actually so bad that it's of the devil. You've missed the point completely. You need to have your eyes open fully. Okay. What he was going to do at the cross was once and for all going to fix the real problem, the biggest problem. And if you don't think... You know, sometimes we live in a world where people say... uh, "As What's that guy? I don't want to use the word. Uh, Joel Osteen says, 99% of people are basically good... Or you might think I'm a bit bad, but I've got a good heart. Why do you believe in that? Right? You are believing absolute rubbish. Okay. Because you want proof of it, Jesus had to die for you. That's proof that you are not mostly good. Okay. Jesus dying for you is proof that you are rotten to the core. You need when the Son of Man, the perfect Son of God, has to die for you. That's deep you see, what Satan is whispering in Peter's ear, the same as on the night of his temptation, the same as when he took him in the desert, is this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be the son of God. Do all your miracles, just don't go to the cross. Just don't go there. You don't need that bit. That's unimportant. You see? And what he's saying to Peter is, this has to happen. For you and to fix the problems of the world, and it's at this point. Do you know that after this, I counted it. Jesus has healed thousands of people. He's done miracles flat out. After this point, Jesus only does three miracles, and one of them is cursing a fig tree, and it dies. Okay. Again, the only miracles he does point to something, because you see, Jesus changes where he's going because they need a second and important revelation of who Jesus is. From now on it's like the whole book shifts Right we are going to the cross And all Jesus teaches is So in, in chapter Mark 9 verse 30 It says then they left this place And passed through Galilee Jesus did not want anyone to know they were there Because he was teaching his disciples So he's taking his disciples He's teaching them on his own He said to them the son of man is going to be delivered Into the hands of evil men and they will kill him And after three days he will rise but they, the disciples, did not understand what he meant and they were afraid to ask him about it. That's the end of chapter 9. Sorry, the bit I read was chapter 8. Then at the end of chapter 10, we are going up to Jerusalem, Jesus said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later he'll rise. He's starting to get a bit repetitive. He's kind of finishes every chapter with the same message. Why? because they have to hear it. And until they understand that, they haven't understood anything. And then you get the Last Supper, where he's saying, body of Christ, and he breaks the bread, and and this is the blood of the covenant, and so on. In other words, you've got that Jesus is the King, you now need to know that he is the Saviour, who is the suffering servant, who has to die for the sins of the world. Until you get that you will not know who Jesus is. You'll have a, an understanding which will drive you down dangerous paths. Okay. Now you also need to hear this. If the Son of God died for your sins, he must have died for how many of them? All of them. And if he's died for other... He's not going to die again, is he? So how many of your sins are gone? All of them. Okay, but hang on. But what about if you do something wrong tomorrow? Which you will? Is that forgiven already? Yes. Yes. Once and for all, what can separate you from the love of God? Nothing. Ah, Well, in Christ Jesus, nothing can. Okay. How do we receive that? The Bible says we repent, that means we turn to God, and we have faith, we trust in Jesus. And, no, that's it. That's it. Right. Okay. You see, the trouble is that Christians today fall into the same place where the the disciples were. And they, what they want from God and what they want from church is basically the victorious king who's going to give me spoils, who's going to give me good stuff, he's going to heal me when I'm sick, as soon as I get sick, he's going to make my family all happy, he's going to make me rich, uh, I'm going to have endless life, no enemies and peace. Who lives like that? Uh, nobody, okay. What they want is they want the victorious king but they do not want the cross. They see that their problems are temporary things, not the real issues. They don't see their sin as the heart of the problem. What this means is, you can think, you can hear of churches who will preach Jesus. They'll preach his power. They'll preach his miracles. They'll preach his good teaching. And you'll think, that sounds good. But they miss the message of the cross and they miss this rebuke. Because understand this, if you have a church who has all of that teaching and does not have the message of the cross, then you have a word to that that church which is, get behind me, Satan. That's a strong word. Okay. This message holds us. It is crucial. The message of the cross, the message of Christ crucified, that Paul says, I, pre- I, I wanted to do nothing while I was with you except preach Christ in him crucified, nothing. Now, if we preach about sin and Jesus all the time, well, we get told, um, this tears people down. But it doesn't tear people down. It puts them where they really need to be, humble before the living God who has saved them. Can you understand that? That's where we need to be. Not at the center of all things. God is not on about us and our glory. It's His glory, and we glorify Him because of what He's done for us. Can you see that? I really hope you can, because it is eternal, of eternal consequence that you see that. At the end of 1 Corinthians 1, in verse 27, uh, you might get up. If not. I'll, I'll just read it. Um, Paul's talking about being saved through the message of the cross. And he says, uh, 1 verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Oh, by the way, he just called Christians foolish and weak. Yep. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not... To bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In other words, it's not about us and what we're doing. And because of him, that's because of God's plan, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us, this is Jesus, became for us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. As it is written, the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. In other words, you want something to show off about? It's what God's done for us and who he is. Right. I hope we're getting this. Jesus is the only one who can save us. And, you know, what? when we get selfish in life, when we get all, to use Rob's word of me, silky, right? We're, thanks, Rob. It was six years ago and I still remember it. Um, what we th- and when we think the best thing for me is an easy life and to have a God who's just going to cruise in and fix up all my problems we need to hear of a Jesus who had to go to the cross and then who would also say of his followers they too must take up their cross because this is of eternal consequences you know um Death, we, we had Rick's funeral on Friday. Death is, it, it's just, it's horrible, isn't it? Death is horrible. And yet, a hope of the power of God to save after death is truly all we need in this life. Okay? Unless you're going to live forever. Yeah? And it was a great witness to that transforming and saving power, uh, Friday was, of God. When he saves a person, a person is saved and they are changed and it's awesome. But you see, if we live our lives with this worldly understanding, this worldly thought of us getting better and everything being peaceful and everything being lovely, we are futile in our thinking. right? We are going to die. Do you know that? Some of us younger, some of us older. God numbered the days before one of them came to be. He kn- don't ever think you can make yourself die early. Right? I'm, I'm not telling you to go and smoke. That's just expensive. right? But you can't change the number of your days. God has numbered them. That's, ex- that's very good to know. But you see, know this. Our eternal problem is the most important problem and Jesus has dealt with that once and for all. He has washed us and cleansed us for eternity. And what the devil will do in your life is he will twist your thoughts and he will make you sookie. And he will twist your lives and he will twist the church to say, yeah, 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 I know, Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Just... You don't need that cross bit. Just don't worry about that. It's all about Jesus giving you a fulfilled potential. You're gonna have a marvel you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna achieve all your dreams because it's all about you. And it's not. Do you understand that? Because you see, sometimes when we, we sometimes someone will say to me, What? This is a false teacher and you go what's false about him? I don't know they'll say I listen to his sermons and everything seems to be from the Bible but something stinks most times false teachers the way you see them is not by what they teach it's by what they don't teach you see they can teach you can teach the Bible lots of stuff I'm not just talking about the crazy churches I'm talking about even biblical churches who will preach do this do that says so in the Bible and miss the message of the cross Satan tries to move the thoughts of humanity towards us being the centre and it all being about our successful life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is, is this clear? I really, you really need to have this clear. Yeah. You can disagree with me. Are you? As long as you understand. We don't get a choice as to what God's like. He has revealed himself. He is the king of all, who's the holy God, who will judge for sins. And you absolutely need to know Jesus. And we are without any hope without him. And yet this, the greatest gift you will ever know, the deepest peace you'll ever know, the most fulfillment and satisfaction you will find will be when you trust in Jesus for your salvation. Because when you have that... You don't need all the other stuff the world's throwing at you. I want to finish by talking about a woman, and uh, she's one of my favourite women in the Bible, and she is the woman in Proverbs 31. And, uh, and in Proverbs 31, it talks about this woman, and, uh, and she... Uh, it'll finish it by saying to young blokes, by the way, don't look for charm and good looks in a woman. What are you going to look for in a woman? That they fear the Lord. They fear the Lord. That's the most important thing. Yeah? And this woman, she is grounded. She is awesome and she is strong. She's a strong woman. You've got to read Proverbs 31. This is no wuss. Right? Yep. And she is hard working because she fears the Lord. And when she opens her mouth, wisdom comes out of that mouth, and she teaches. Strong, why? Because she fears the Lord. Yeah? And her husband and her children—they praise this woman of faith because she fears the Lord. That's why she's worth something, right? And it says, "Strength and dignity are her clothing." What does she wear? Strength and dignity. She's not bound up. Is this a woman who's going, Oh, mate, I really could do with that. I wish I had that. I just saw a commercial and I really want that and then I'll be fulfilled. And if I just had this. And... No, no, no. This is a strong woman. Right? Get away with me with all your worldly glory and your power and success. She fears the Lord. Yeah? And then there's this really cool bit. It says, She laughs at the future. I'm about to find that somewhere. I you? I just you to that. She laughs at the future. We live in a world where people are terrified of the future unless it changes, unless they can do something about it. She, she looks at a war and she laughs. She hears about family problems. She sees sickness and death even around her. She laughs. She fears the Lord and she trusts God. Can you see that? This is a woman who has quiet confidence and surety and and certainty and because of that what can affect her? She's awesome. Yeah. Where can we get a bit of that? From knowing Jesus is the King? Absolutely. He is the King. And by knowing that Jesus has borne our sins. Once and for all, restored to the Father. This is what we need to know. And when you have those gifts, hey, You don't need anything else. And you won't have this aching heart that goes, oh, I want this, I want that. And you won't worry all night about what you haven't got and about people around you. You'll laugh at the future. Laugh at the future. (laughs) Isn't that good? Because we've got king who's the saviour. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that you would teach us faith, that we might trust in you and that we might desire the riches that you give. We thank you that we can place our lives, and our families' lives and all around us in the hands of your son who has authority over all things and we thank you that he is ruling and that he has all power and that he's king. But we thank you also, Father, that his strong hands are hands which are nail-pierced. We thank you that he is the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. We thank you that he's restored us to you. And, Father, we pray that you would bring to us knowledge of this forgiveness, of this new life. And, Father, that we would see with clear eyes who you are and what is most important in this world.